to the Cougar Tailgate, where BYU fandom lives. Here's your hosts, Sydney Carlson and Cole Wissinger. Good afternoon, Cougar fans. It's that time again. Every week we get together, we recap what happened in BYU athletics last week, and we look ahead. We take a look at the opponents that we're facing. We take a look at their towns, get to know what it's like to be a fan and be in their shoes, um, and, and try to bring that to the BYU fan base every week. Like the man said, I'm Cole Wissinger sitting across the way from Sydney Carlson. How was your week? My week was great. Had Monday off. Just oh yeah, Holiday easy breezy. Week. Yeah, nice, nice. I've been watching all of the uh, Academy Award nominees this week, trying to cram them all in before the awards. Got a big party you're going to and dress up, red carpet it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> going full black tie. <laughs> well, last Saturday this time we were getting ready for the number one team in the whole country, the Gonzaga we Bulldogs, were. and. Continue, continue to be the number one co- team in the country. Until they beat us and for some reason dropped to number two in the whole country. Oh. Because that's how the AP poll works. Um, it ha- during the game, though, uh, there were some highs and there were some lows. TJ, jump stop in the paint, back and score! He did it again! Oh, Corey Kispert punches the air in frustration as TJ drew him into a foul. The score by Haas and a free throw for a three-point play. The Cougs still within shouting distance. It's a 12-point game, 64-52. to even through the second quarter. Now, in the first half, it was dang close, and they went into the locker room trailing only by seven. It's just that it slowly kind of tugged and pulled and tugged and pulled, and, and BYU would get a little closer, and then, BYU, and then Gonzaga would pull further away, and that's kind of how the second half went. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at our games even this year, not against Gonzaga, that's kind of been the story of our season is that things are close right up until the end. But Mark Few, after the game, said that he thinks BYU is a tourney team and like a like a top six seed, I think is what he said. I'm trying to remember the exact quote. But an endorsement from Mark Few is high praise. I mean, you look at what Gonzaga was doing to some of the other teams in the league before they played us. The week, or not even the week before, two days before, they played Mm -hmm. Santa Clara and beat them by a solid 50 points. Cole, 50 points. They won 104 to 54. That is insane. So I will... I will humbly take a 92-69 to 69 loss at Spokane against a team that has been that dominant. And that is still pacing for that number one seed. Right. I can't imagine this Gonzaga team losing again in WCC play unless yeah. it's going to be to BYU in that second-to-last game of the season. Yeah, I absolutely don't see. I, they, they could easily breeze right through WCC play. <laughs> um and as much as we've talked about, there's a little more parity in the league this year. There's like a couple different ties in the standings right now, but mm-hmm. it's still just you have Gonzaga and then you have everybody else. And there's a lot of parity with everybody else, but fortunately, yeah. Gonzaga is Gonzaga this year. The tiers are as they usually are. Like there's a top three and there's a middle chunk that the middle chunk does seem stronger. That's what we like talking about. And then there's kind of the the bottom few teams at, at at that point, but really it's a fourth tier because you have Gonzaga and then you have right. BYU St. Mary's, that middle chunk, and then you have – so Gonzaga also, they very much took advantage of the fact that we were still sans Yoli Childs Absolutely. in this game, right? He comes back the ne- – and he did dress, right? Like there was that there was that threat, that potential, and, and probably just a like a mind game. Like <laughs> yeah. oh, Mark Few, prepare for this, but – we're probably not actually ready for yeah. it. And they took advantage of it. BYU was out-rebounded 37-21, to 21, like total rebounds, right? They count both of them. Gonzaga had nine offensive rebounds. BYU had 
Uno. Mm-hmm. And so that's where, especially in a close game at halftime, that's where you start to see the extension happen, where Gonzaga just played better over the course of the entire game, and BYU couldn't, couldn't catch up to it. Yeah, we we lose out so much in the pain when we don't have Yoli, because you basically just have Colby Lee as a, a big man um, on your, like core group of guys Mm -hmm. and Colby Lee obviously had that great game and Zach Selyus who plays like really frantic defense and is cool to see but but he just doesn't have the size he doesn't he doesn't have the body to be a four (laughs) in college basketball big time college basketball right he has he goes in and gives it his all yeah exactly but he's just not not, yeah so and and, so when you you have Yoli in that mix all of that works together 100 percent yeah and you can't expect the game that Colby Lee had uh, last week to happen every week. You can't yeah. always expect that from him. You do expect that from Yoli, and he delivers that. But Colby Lee, um, you just you can't expect those numbers from him every week. He's a role player, Absolutely. and that's and every single big time basketball team needs that. But when you miss out on the superstar, and your role player needs to to be a superstar, it's not always going to be there, and that's fine. Right. That's Absolutely. Fine. And yeah, they've up until Gonzaga, I thought had done very well without Yoli. Um, and had been able to pull out plenty of wins and kept their resume really strong, which is great. But then five days later, Yoli came back. Child's base left. Banging into Fritz. A pump fake up and good, and it goes. A chance for a three-point play. Yoli Child scoring well for BYU. He's got six, a chance for seven. Right after this, BYU within two. And he would have a couple more by the end of the Pacific game. Yoli Childs made his triumphant return with 26 points, 9 rebounds, one away from that double-double that he's been averaging in games that he plays the entire game of. One block, one assist. That's the stat line from your superstar that you want. Yeah, it's it's so good to have him on the court. I am pretty like shocked and amazed. If you had told me, because going into the season... The biggest bummer of all is that we were going to miss Yoli for nine games. And we and knew it, that. We knew that. But then if you had told me that he was going to be out another, what, three or four for mm-hmm. injury, I would have thought this season is over. It's done. Like Yoli is our shining star, our like our hope, our <laughs> our great white hope. Yes. And so I love seeing him on the court and he obviously brings the spark that we need. But this is a really interesting and I think special kind of BYU squad that they can power through without him and elevate even that much more with him. Yeah, when Yoli's on the floor, anything is possible, right? I, I'm i going back. Gonzaga will be in Provo next time. Right. We hope will that Yoli Mary's. will be here next time. And same with St. Mary's. Those are the games that anything can happen when everyone's putting it together. You have Yoli as as that presence, right? And then TJ goes around and, and he makes scoring happen as well. And then you have a bunch of other guys where one of them's going to get hot on any given day and you take advantage of whoever that is, right? We talked about it being Colby Lee earlier uh, last week, right? Whenever, before we had the conversation with him and he has one amazing game. Well, uh, against Pacific, that man was Jake Tools. And A.B.'s running at front court. A.B. to the paint, pulls it out. Jake for three. He did it again! Jake, the make, yet again! And the Cougars pulling away. 69-53. Timeout Pacific. Can you believe this? When Greg Rubel says he did it again, he was referring to his sixth three-pointer. 
Just Unreal. and they seem and there were three of them that just came right in a row as you're watching the game and and Pacific was just done after that. You could see like the entire team just Oh, you deflate. You lost it. And who wouldn't when that's coming up against you? Well, BYU went on a 21 and 0 run in the second half. 21 to nothing. That is demoralizing and Jake had 14 of those 21 points. He he was like, "Okay, everyone, listen. Everyone back up. I'm going to take control. <laughs> we got to get out of this. We got to get out of this back and forth that we've got going on." And don't worry, I got it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna knock back some threes if that's cool with everyone. And it was, <laughs> it was cool with everybody. We talked a lot about BPI uh, either last week or a couple weeks ago. BYU still hovering in those mid twenties, right? And it's translating to you know around an eight, nine, ten seed in in the bracketology folks that know about that. And that seems like where BYU will be until they actually go out and prove it against St. Mary's, maybe against Gonzaga. Even you have a close game against Gonzaga, I feel like you're going to start going up and making a run in the WCC tournament. That's what we're looking forward to now, right? The, these middle-tier WCC teams, you got to keep beating them, you got to keep proving yourself, and then do it at home against that top tier. Right. And, I mean, as a fan, I'm looking forward to, fingers crossed, a year where you're not a bubble team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's been a long time. I mean, it's been a few years since we've even been in the NCAA tournament, but I feel like the last few years that we were in, it was always touch and go. Like, the next loss could be the one that kicks you out of the conversation, but right now it feels like we're solidly in the mix, and if you can continue this momentum and keep beating these teams that you can absolutely beat, like... I would love to just have that peace of mind that we can go to the big dance. And just just being at the NCAA tournament is such a fun thing as a fan and being able to root root on your team. And I just would love a year where we're not like, fingers crossed, let's hope we get in this year. Yeah, those first couple days are fun no matter what's going on. But if you got a team to root for, that's even better. Double the fun. Well, next on that docket of teams at BYU needs to beat if they want to be there in March. It's San Francisco, and it's today. Uh, I hope that that, that the fans kind of around the country of BYU basketball, I hope they're enjoying this because the effort that these young men are putting out every single night is, it is, like, I leave every, every game inspired, win or loss, actually. I leave inspired the courage these guys are playing with and the commitment they have to each other. There's something special happening on this team, and that doesn't guarantee you any given outcome, but but you think about the very best in athletics, and you think about a locker room that everybody would kill to have, and the guys with character that are just really trying to fight for each other. It's awesome, man. I'm, I'm having a, a, a good time uh, watching these guys work. So when we come back on the Cougar Tailgate, we will be speaking with San Francisco's play-by-play man, Pat Olson. He has over 30 years of broadcast experience, and he'll bring some of that knowledge and insight into San Francisco to the show. That's coming up next. Welcome back to Cougar Tailgate. I'm Sydney Carlson, and as we gear up for tonight's matchup against the San Francisco Dons, we have with us Pat Olson, voice of the USF basketball. Pat has been with the team since 1990 and has called more than 800 games for the Dons. Pat, thanks for joining us. Yeah, glad to be with you. So we're heading into the first matchup between the Cougars and the Dons tonight. 
what are you kind of looking forward to about tonight's matchup? Well, I, I, you know, USF needs to, to win a game after having lost at St. Mary's a couple nights ago. So that's the you know first thing is, will USF bounce back? It, you know, the, the schedule is never easy in the West Coast Conference, but this week in particular with USF playing, the, you know, two of the upper teams at St. Mary's two nights ago and then coming up this afternoon against BYU. So, you know, it should be a near sellout. It's not a big building. We're, we're going through a remodel at the uh, Sobrato Center. And, you know, so it seats about 3,000. I'm, I'm told it'll be sold out or a near sellout. So there'll be the, the crowd going. But I'll be interested to see how the USF responds after losing by 10 two nights ago. Oh, for sure. One thing that we like to talk about on this show, and you mentioned the, uh, the venue, we kind of like to talk about traditions and what it's like to go to a game at USF. So what are some things that are unique to San Francisco, traditions or uh, just things that you think are fun and unique about San Francisco basketball? Well, one thing that's unique about San Francisco basketball that no other team in this league has, and that's when you walk in the building, there are national championship banners hanging. Um, so that's, you know, kind of a new thing. So, you know, or a cool thing. So, you know, for all that Gonzaga has done and the great success they've had in this league with all the great respect I have for Mark Few, you walk inside the, you know, the gym in, in Spokane and in the McCarthy Athletic Center, there's no championship banners hanging. So, you know, USF has won national championships. Uh, they proudly display them. It's, you know, kind of an intimate, smaller building. It used to seat about 5,000. But as I mentioned, you know, we've been going through a remodel on the campus, and with that, the name change. It used to be War Memorial Gym, and now it's Memorial Gym at the Sobrato Center. So there's that, you know, part of the puzzle. But, you know, the, it's a little bit more intimate because they're going through this remodel. So one entire side of the building is being redone with luxury suites, and that has created a smaller seat capacity for the time being. I think the seat capacity... We'll probably come up back closer to about 4,000. They're hopeful that the remodel will be done next year. But it's a great venue. It's a nice-sized building. It's a fun place to, to see a game because there's no bad seat in the house. And, you know, having been to the Marriott Center in Provo and, you know, actually come to practice with the team or, you know, shoot around, then I'll actually run the steps. And, boy, you get pretty high up there in the Marriott Center. So, you know, War Memorial has a little bit different feel inside. Oh, for sure. I mean, what a feather in your cap, though, to say that we're the only team with national championship banners. That's quite an accomplishment. Um, yeah. And you kind of talked you briefly about the Marriott Center, but, like, what, what does that smaller venue, what do you think that that brings to the atmosphere as opposed to the Marriott Center that holds 18,000? Well, I, you know, I think that it... it brings the kind of a smaller atmosphere you know i used to like to say this about the west coast conference the first few years when i was in the league is it's basketball you can touch and feel because most of the venues with the exception really of the marriott center in our conference are you know six thousand seats or smaller you know there's a lot of four thousand five thousand you get into these buildings like war memorial at the sobrato center you know, like, uh, you know, St. Mary's where USF played two nights ago in Moraga inside McEwen Pavilion with seats about maybe 3,000, a little bit over it. You get right on top of the action. And I think that's a neat thing for the fans. You know, you, you know, you know, here in this market, we've got the Warriors and the Sharks and, you know, the 49ers and all these pro teams. And, 
you know, it's great. You go out and you pay a whole bunch for a ticket, and you sit way up in the nosebleed seats, and you, you kind of feel like you got robbed. You come to a USF game, and, you know, you sit down close. The, the players are walking right by you. It's really a, a neat thing, and it's what I love about uh, the West Coast Conference. Which, which places outside of USF are your favorite in the WCC to travel to? Well, I, I always like going to, to Spokane, which is kind of weird because uh, this, is, this is my 29th year broadcasting USF games, and my record in Spokane with USF is 0-28. I've never <laughs> seen a win either in the old, the old uh, you know, they used to call it the Martin Center, the little small bandbox next door. Now they have the McCarthy Athletic Center, which seats about 6,000. But the environment, the thing that really impresses me when USF plays in Spokane is the environment at Gonzaga. You know, the, the students are there very early. They're all over the players as they arrive. They, you know, you can't get a, a ticket in town. I mean, and it's almost, you know, I, I don't know if this is really a word, but it's almost celebrity, celebrity dumb by osmosis because I, I go around in Spokane, and if I'm wearing my USF jacket, it's like I'm with the road NBA team in town. Are you with USF? Oh, you guys are playing us tomorrow night. Oh, come on in. You know, appetizers on us. I mean, it, it's kind of this neat thing. They're the only game in town, and it's really, you know, the the, the uniqueness of, you know, Gonzaga because you go play in Portland, and there's an NBA team there, and there's other pro teams. Obviously, the L.A. market is very saturated with teams, but in Spokane, it's really all about Gonzaga. And even though, you know, I've never seen a victory there, I always enjoy it because it's just fun to see the students. I mean, they start showing up at like, you know, 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's snowing out. They'll spend the night the night before because those seats are free. It's first come, first serve. And they'll camp out in tents to see little old, you know, the little old USF Don show up. It's not like we're, and I mean this with all due respect to our program, it's not like we're Notre Dame invading their building. But there's students out there waiting all day to get a chance at those tickets. And I think that's a really cool thing. Yeah, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find really any fan base that is quite as excited about their team as Gonzaga. I've noticed that I went to, I've never been to Spokane, but uh, at the West Coast Conference Tournament in Vegas, if you walk around Vegas, there are Gonzaga fans everywhere that weekend. And if they catch you in another team's logo, they'll let you hear about it. Oh, yeah. No, they're very passionate about their team. Do you uh, have any other venues outside of the WCC that you find particularly memorable? Um, boy, I've been to a lot all over the country because, you know, in our non-conference, we've, we've played a lot of places. Um, I really, we've, we've been to Duke a couple times. I've enjoyed, I enjoyed that, you know, Cameron Indoor Stadium. It's it kind of in some ways a little bit reminds me of, you know, the McCarthy Athletic Center in Spokane in the sense that the, the students there are very passionate. When when USF played there many, many years ago, um, you know, and obviously a non-conference game, it was kind of like the, the situation I just described in Spokane. There were a number of Duke students that were already in line to get their tickets when we came for our 11 a.m. shoot-around. So there's that similar passion there, if you will, um, you know, I always enjoy whether, you know, maybe it's not necessarily the venue, but the, the chance to travel to different and unique places when we play in tournaments in Hawaii. That's a, a fun time. Last year, USF was fortunate to get invited to the uh, Belfast Classic in Belfast, Northern Ireland. 
And that was kind of interesting to see. And what was really cool there is I give you a little sidebar here is, you know, you wouldn't think that, you know, college basketball is going to be a big thing in Northern Ireland, but they've actually, they've actually promoted it quite, quite well. And, you know, the first day of that tournament, they, it's a Friday. You know, they play Friday, Saturday games, and the Friday, it's a school day. When USF showed up in the gym, it's about an 8,000-seat hockey arena that they convert over to basketball. It was almost sold out, almost sold out with nothing but 8-, 9-, 10-year-old, you know, boys and girls in their, in their you know, Catholic school blazers. And they, they actually used it as a field trip day. The kids got out of school so they could go see college basketball. And, you know, you have 8,000 fans in there, and about 6,000 of them are 9 or 10 years old. It was really kind of cool. Kind of taking a step back, you know, you talked about how you've been with the team for 29 years. Did I read this correctly? You're also a full-time high school teacher? That's correct. And, in fact, uh, you know, um, yeah, I work, you know, Monday through Friday and uh, manage two gigs, yeah. That is wild, and I just have to know how you find the time. <laughs> Well, I was first, you know, full-time in radio. I worked at uh, KNBR Radio here in San Francisco for many years. And then, you know, way back, you know, gosh, almost 20 years ago now when the things got kind of soft around 2000, 2001, uh, I got laid off. And so I weighed that dilemma of, okay, if I stay in radio, I'm going to have to move. Or can I find a job that, you know, allows some freedom at night and on the weekends? Both my parents were... Long-time teachers, my dad taught middle school for 43 years, and my mom taught kindergarten or first grade for 41 years. So I, it was something that really interested me. So I, I, I went through the process. I, I got my teacher's credential. I kind of changed careers. But the nice thing about it is, you know, if there's a Thanksgiving tournament, like last year's tournament in Belfast, it was during Thanksgiving, I'm off from school. Yeah. If there's a, if there's a Christmas holiday tournament, I'm off from school. So really, even though you might think, boy, he must miss a lot of teaching days, I usually only miss about four or five school days a year. I don't miss that many. And, you know, it just kind of works out okay, and it's, it's been a great deal. And I, I really enjoy both jobs. I love the broadcasting. I've enjoyed the teaching, and it's, it's meshed pretty well. And I, I actually teach broadcasting at the local high school where I work, so I've brought that part into it. Well, I just find that to be incredible and quite commendable. What do you teach? I teach U.S. history, so I teach high school juniors in California. Eleventh grade is U.S. history, and then I teach a broadcasting class. I also uh, produce videos for the school district that I work in, which is in Half Moon Bay, which is a kind of a little smaller community along the coast, about oh, 25 miles south of uh, San Francisco. Uh, so you know, I love U.S. history. It's fun to talk about. I get to travel around with college basketball, you know, I've gotten to go to some kind of cool historic sites and I can relay that to my students. That's amazing. In your time with USF, do you have any players that have come through that you love to watch or you love to interview? Well, um, you know, for you, from USF's, you know, side, you know, we've had some quality players, you know, Dior Lohorn, who's uh, playing now in Indonesia, you know, he was a uh, you know, a, a four-man, probably a little bit undersized to go to the NBA, but very talented. So he was fun to watch, you know, an all-league player. Um, and, you know, he averaged about 20 points a game for his career. Uh, Daryl Tucker, uh, who played here probably back in the early 2000s, uh, he was 
240. Uh, another, you know, big front line guy, fun to watch. Uh, my first couple three years in the league uh, doing USF games, our point guard was a young man named Orlando Smart. And Smart, at the time, set the national assist record for the most career assists. He was surpassed by Bobby Hurley within the next year or two. But he ended up for, like, I think close to 900 assists for his career. And he was really fun to watch. And with him at point guard, it was the closest I ever got to a win in Spokane. Uh, the Dons lost by two uh, with him running our offense. So we, we played tough in Spokane. Oh, didn't quite get the win. Uh, so he was fun to watch. You know, I've seen, you know, team, you know other stars on other teams. Uh, you know, a few many years ago, we hosted Purdue at the Cow Palace. So we went off-site and played at a bigger venue in Daly City right on the border of San Francisco. And uh, Purdue then had uh, Glenn Robinson, big dog. And so, you know, obviously he went on to play in the NBA. And, you know, along the way there's been a you know player here or there that, you know, has gone on to play in the NBA. You know, uh, we played in, in Oklahoma a few years ago and played against Blake Griffin mm-hmm. his freshman year, and he was just a beast. I mean, he just ate us up on the front line. So it's fun to, you know, see those players that, you know, go on to stardom. Obviously, Steve Nash, who had a great, you know, career at Santa Clara in our conference, went on to play in the NBA. And, you know, when I first saw Steve Nash as a freshman, I thought, this guy's a big-time player. And nobody had recruited him. Nobody even knew who he was, this, you know, this young man from British Columbia, where you think, all right, he's probably a pretty good hockey player, but he ends up being a great basketball player. So over the years, it's been fun to see, you know, some of those guys evolve through the college game and then move on to play at the pro level. And as we get closer to game time, for any fans that may be coming out of town for the game, can you give us a local's guide to the best things to maybe do or eat in the city this weekend? Oh, boy, that's a tough question. You're putting me on the spot here. (laughs) Um, You know, in general, I I tell people go to North Beach. North Beach is kind of the Italian area. Okay, It's a very vibrant part of town. Uh, there's a lot of great restaurants there. You know, I could start to name a couple, three off, but you really can't go wrong if you're in North Beach. Um, there, there's also a spot in North Beach called um, Original Joe's. They kind of have uh, California cuisine. That's a very good place to hang out. You know, that, that's just got a, a nice vibe, a nice feel to it. The USF campus isn't too far from the hate, you know, hate Ashbury, the you know, the 1960s kind of hippie movement, and the hate is very eclectic. It's a little bit different, but it's also kind of fun to, you know, walk around. You'll you'll see some different people, but, you know, that's the city, and that's just a, you know, skip, hop, and a jump. That's just a few blocks from the USF campus. One final question for you, because we talked about this uh, last week on our show. Um I was under the impression that if you go to San Francisco and you get a bread bowl, you absolutely have to have the clam chowder. But my co-host Cole <laughs> got tomato soup in his bread bowl. Can you confirm or deny whether that was like a cardinal sin against the city of San Francisco? I don't know if it's a cardinal sin, but I don't think too many people are getting tomato soup in a bread bowl. You got If you're going to go down to Fisherman's Wharf, and that's another place to hit, although... You know, it's kind of a tourist spot. You know, you'll pay an arm and a leg to park anywhere near there. And, you know, there's only one or two really good seafood places on the wharf. The best place probably to go is a place called Skomas 
all the locals will end up right at the restaurants that are right at Fisherman's Wharf, and you need to go over about a block or two and kind of around a corner to find Skoma's. But if you go to Fisherman's Wharf and you're getting the bread bowl, you got to get clam chowder. Come on. That's all I needed to hear. <laughs> Pat, all right. it's been a delight. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, best of luck to you tonight. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. That was Pat Olson, the voice of the San Francisco Dons for the last 30 years. Coming up next, we are going to talk about the deep history of the NCAA tournament. We'll be right back on the Cougar Tailgate. Into the Cougar Tailgate. I'm Cole Wissinger. That is Sydney Carlson. We are T minus an hour and a half ish until tip off between BYU and Pat Olson's San Francisco Dons. It was fun to get to know a little bit more about San Francisco. Fun to get told that my culinary tastes <laughs> were entirely wrong. I just needed I needed a second opinion and some backup. I didn't realize when we had that part of the conversation last week that we were going to have a San Francisco expert yeah. <laughs> to come on and verify things just and this week. I love a good callback. So, you know, if you missed that bit from last week, go back and listen. Anytime on the podcast. So <laughs> listening to Pat Olson made me realize something that I didn't really know, right? I, I'd say I'm familiar with March Madness and, and the tournament champions and the one seeds for the past, like, 20 years. I've been watching it. I'm, I'm really into it. But when you wind the clock back to the 1950s when the San Francisco Dons were two-time national champions, I feel like there's a lot of stuff in there that just fans don't know. That was truly a moment where I learned a new fact about the WCC. I did not realize if you would have like asked me to pick, oh, there's only one team in the entire WCC who has won a national championship and it's not, not Gonzaga. I'm not sure I even still would have picked San Francisco. The fact that it's not Gonzaga, is I think, is worth shocking. talking Shocking! It is truly shocking. And I will say when I go to fill out my brackets... I don't mean this as a dig at all. I mean, maybe a little bit, but <laughs> I never I never have Gonzaga winning it or going all the way, even in the year where they were nearly undefeated, <clears throat> minus one loss, one significant loss. Nearly. Um, I still did not have them winning because it just seems like they always trip themselves up somehow in the in the Elite Eight or the Final Four. And then they came so close when I did, they made it. I did some research for you here. Perfect. So Gonzaga has been a number one seed three different times, which actually seems low. Like that I does feel seem like low. they could have been even more. But I would have expected more. You only get four a year, right? Gonzaga's had three number one seeds. That's not even the most to have the most one seeds but not have a championship under your belt. Interesting. The Oklahoma Sooners. In in the history of the NCAA, right, going all the way all the way back to the forties, the Sooners have been a number one seed five times. That's the same number as UConn and Georgetown and Michigan State. Wow. They never won a championship. Wow. That's a very that's gotta be very disappointing as a fan. <laughs> and above them is just the blue bloods, right? You got North Carolina, Kansas, Duke, Kentucky. Those are your double digit right. number one seeders. And then just a couple down. How many number one seeds does uh, Villanova have? Four. 
Oh, All wow. very, very recently, too. Yeah, That's, yeah they kind of <laughs> came on the scene quite recently. I, I mean, the dumbest I felt was as I searched each one of these teams, I, I knew that those top few had championships. The next most number one seeds was Virginia. And so I Googled, has Virginia won a national championship? And Sidebar. it turns out they, they did <laughs> they just do. last year. Sidebar, it is a great year to be a Virginia sports fan. Their football team is is better this year or was better this year than they have been. Thank you, Bronco Mendenhall. Thank you, Bronco Mendenhall. We miss you. We love you. Um, but their basketball team is crushing it as well. Absolutely. It's rare that you so, get like a football and a basketball year. I remember Florida had one of the, the Tim Tebow, Joe Kim mm. Noah, Florida teams, which, I mean, they weren't on the same team, but right, the basketball and football won the national championship in the same year. Doesn't happen very often. What a did, blessed life those fans lead. <laughs> did you know who won the very first national championship of college basketball? I was just looking at that list. It is actually a school that still exists and plays and makes sense, right? We're going to get down into like Oklahoma A&M and CCNY and LaSalle and San Francisco. The, those schools all won national championships before the 1960s. But the Oregon Ducks in 1939 won the very first national championship of basketball. 39. That was pre-America's World War II <laughs> Like involvement. I thought you were going to say pre-America's independence. Oh, which oh wow. Can you imagine? <laughs> we were going to have to sign you up for Pat Olson's 11th grade American history class here. They no, no, beat no. the Ohio State Buckeyes also in the national championship that first year, I 1939. I like that. I like that. A long defeat. time ago. And then Kansas, who has, it seems like, been a number one seed every year since, lost the very second national championship to the Hoosiers. That's a name that would you make know, sense. Kansas is another team. That I feel like I always have going Elite Eight, Final Four, and then losing. Because I would, right. yeah, I would love to know how many times they've been a number one seed and not won. Because they're very good at that as it's, well. It is up there. And they, I mean, they've also won their conference. The Big 12, which is no shab, shab not, not too shabby of a conference in basketball. Kansas is on top of that conference every single year. They get that top ranked seed and then they, they still don't do it. Yeah. 1944, Sydney, your favorite of all the national champions, the Utah Utes, Ooh. have one of those under their belts. That's where this exercise becomes unpleasant. It was the first overtime game in uh, national championship history. They really? beat Dartmouth. Oh. The Dartmouth. Wow, what a disappointing matchup. Something. What a disappointing <laughs> national championship game. Ugh. The first ever, so that was the first one to go to overtime in 1957. North Carolina and Kansas. Those two teams mm. make sense when you're talking national championships. They went to three overtimes. The The final score was 54 to 53. It took what? In triple overtimes, overtimes to get up to the 50s in the score. I was expecting you to say like 130. Yeah. College basketball was a little different back then, apparently. Oh, that was probably pre the three-point line. Had to. Had to. Had to. Had to. Had to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because that 57 win was the year after the two San Francisco wins that Pat mm. Olson has educated us on 1955 and 56 the San Francisco Dons led by Bill Russell who if you ask Celtic fans might be the greatest basketball player of all time even though he played you know back before <laughs> anyone realized that basketball was a sport they they won the national championship 55-56 they beat LaSalle and the Iowa Hawkeyes the other thing i noticed as i was kind of looking through 
you know, the facts of the old days of college basketball. Nowadays, they stick as many human beings as they possibly can into that Final Four arena, right? And they mostly, it's a football stadium that they stick just a ton more stands in and they, they fit a bunch of people in. The first national championship game to be played in a football stadium was 1971 when they played in the Houston Astrodome, the eighth wonder of the world. Really? That makes sense, right? So the Astrodome comes out, and, and it's the home of the Houston Oilers and and the Astros also. And then they start playing some basketball games in there, too. And it that got into people's idea. Eventually, the Metrodome, the Louisiana Superdome. I mean, in, in the 90s, the Metrodome hosted the Super Bowl and the college basketball championship in wow. the same year. Go Minneapolis. <laughs> Oh man, I I can't think of a more miserable place to be in March than Minneapolis. Like and that's got to be Super up there. The Super Bowls in January. Like, yeah, I remember oh, the Steelers oh. played the Super Bowl in Detroit uh, when I was a kid, and it was fun because Jerome Bettis got to like go back to his stomping grounds. But media people are not exactly excited no. <laughs> to vacation to Detroit, or even fans. If you want, like, if you're traveling to watch your team play in the national championship game, like. It's too cold. It's too cold to do anything. You go to the game, you go back to your hotel. Sydney, you know where it's not cold? The University of California, Los Angeles. Can confirm. Can confirm it's never cold there. A very (laughs) beautiful California place, and they won the most national championships in a row and in general, Ooh. in the history that you can't tell the history, even though we're going to stop right around the 70s, because that's where people start kind of knowing things, right? Once you get into the 80s, Michael Jordan was playing for the North Carolina Tar Heels, and then you start getting into like normal people's memories of college basketball. Right. But they're in the 60s and the 70s. That's where UCLA with John Wooden won seven in a row. I mean, it just becomes boring at some point. Three undefeated seasons shuffled in there. 30 and 0. Like, that is, no, sorry, 4 in 64. That's was the fourth one. That is just unbelievable. Yeah. Can you even imagine? It's not even seven in a row. It's also 8, 9, it's 10 out of 12. You know what? The, the, one of the teams to break up that, again, going, we're back in the 60s, a team called Texas Western. You know what? Good for Texas Western. The, the Texas Western Miners, who it's now UTEP. It's the University of Texas El Paso that they call it now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some team called Texas Western is stuck in there in the history books in that between all like of a, these UCLA teams. What a Cinderella story. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, heck, might not have been Cinderella in the 60s, but. Probably not, but. Seems I, like it yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not picking Texas Western to go very far in my bracket this year. Yeah. Because. Listen, I dare you to. I dare you to just write them in. The brackets taking right in this year? They do. They're taking right in. BYU. <laughs> Championship. It's going there. <laughs> I hereby write in that BYU wins the national championship in 2020. Thank you very much. That just means it happens. It's, That's how we decide things. Make our own history books. When we come back, we're going to take a look uh, just back one second on the schedule. We talk about San Francisco. Uh, the clock's counting down. It's an afternoon game today that BYU's got. But two days ago, they did play Pacific, and it was our it's our only game against Pacific this year on the schedule. I speak with a member of the Pacific Athletic Department to learn a little bit about their school. When we come back, this is the Cougar Tailgate.
the Cougar Tailgate. I'm Cole Wissinger, sitting next to Sidney Carlson, and we just got done talking a little bit about the national champions of college basketball from before either of us were born. Inspired by those Bill Russell San Francisco teams and the game BYU versus the San Francisco Dons tipping off in just over two hours. What you're listening to right now is the fight song of the University of the Pacific. BYU played their only game against Pacific on Thursday. And just yesterday, I had the chance to talk to their manager of media relations, Chris Fortney, about the school in Stockton, California. Welcome into the Cougar Tailgate, Chris. Thank you. Glad to, have, glad to be here. Now, y'all are in between. You had BYU last night and Gonzaga tomorrow. We we here in Provo would like to hope that those are the top two teams in the conference. So that, that's a pretty murderous row that you got that you're facing up with. But um, where are you at right now as we're speaking? Uh, we are currently wearing in the Sacramento International Airport. Um, we have about 30 minutes. So just getting ready for that. I was trying to get mentally prepared for the big battle we have to do tomorrow against the Zags. So. The Zags, now the number two team in the nation, despite still having you know even more wins than they had when we played them at number one um what what's uh what's the attitude of the team as you're kind of traveling with them what do, what do they do to get ready for a game like that yeah man well uh we had a tough competition against uh BYU last night uh we were in it you know most of the game and unfortunately we weren't able to, to close it out at home but uh we're just looking to get back back on our uh back on a win streak of some sort um, you know, it's it's our only time we get to face Gonzaga this year, so we're looking to make a statement. Um, you know, the guys are really ready to go. They got in a good practice this morning. Everyone's healthy. Um, everyone's well-rested. So just making sure everyone stays hydrated, um, you know, is eating well, getting enough rest going into tomorrow night. So uh, overall, just relaxed, relaxed environment. Um, team's pretty laid back, so we just plan to have dinner and, and watch some film later, so nothing too major. BYU fans got a little bit more familiar with this year's Pacific team just last night. Um, but why don't you go ahead and give us kind of a brief, broad look at, at Pacific basketball through the years. What were some of the highs? Yeah, so Pacific has had, um, you know, overall not not the most historic um, school, but we've definitely had a few pieces throughout the years um, that have put us on, put us on the map. Michael Olokondi. Uh, former number one overall pick by the Los Angeles Clippers back in the 80s. Uh, he's kind of our our uh, our big our big shiny piece. Um, and then currently, right now, we actually have Jalil Tripp, who is uh, is top ten in the conference in about every category: first in rebounding, eighth in scoring, um, third in steals. So he's setting a bunch of records, uh, not only for Pacific, but hoping to accomplish them in the conference as well. Um, you know, we we have had Coach Sotomayor. He's in his fourth year. Um, we set a new a new record under him this year with our 15th win against Portland last week. So we're looking to keep that on the upswing and uh, keep things rolling and making sure that that the progress is continually going up. Yeah, there's more season to come. He's he's liable to add to that win total. That's pretty cool. And I mean, Damon Stoudemire. You talk about um, old combi going to the NBA. I remember Damon Stoudemire playing in the NBA um, as a player. What is Coach Stoudemire like there for Pacific? Yeah, man, it's his uh, it's his first year with full scholarships due to the sanctions that were imposed on us a few years back from the previous staff before he got here. So 
Um, it's the first year he really has full control of, of his entire team and, and is really connecting with the athletes he's brought in. Um, I mean, we have 10 newcomers on the roster, um, only two from last year's roster that have stayed. So it's it's pretty much an entirely new team. Um, Coach is able to connect. He doesn't really have a set group of players he's rolling with. I mean, we have a lot of freshmen playing. We have transfers coming in and, and getting big minutes. So Coach is uh, making sure that the focus is, is always there with whoever's on the court. And and he's, he's able to really connect with this group and then make sure that they're consistently um, – know what they're getting to with each opponent and, and really able to to plan and get those things going. So, And how is he with the fans? What's uh, what's his interaction style like? Because we're uh, BYU fans just this year. We have a new coach, Coach Pope, and he has a very different just personality than we had with Coach Rose for so many years. So what's, what's Stoudemire yeah. like with the media? Yeah, Coach is, uh, he, he keeps it real. Uh, that's one way to put it. He, he's very down to earth, but he's always going to keep it real with you. Um, he's very open to media. I mean, he's on the radio after every game when they lost. So mm-hmm. I'm happy that he's able to, to get those comments out there and, and keep presenting himself to the public. Um, he does a lot of speeches throughout campus. Um, he, he does a lot of events um, that, have, that he, he reaches out to the youth. So uh, he tries to stay active. Um, teaching basketball at all times. He hosts a summer camp um, with a bunch of youth in Stockton, teach them some skills. So he, he's making a home here, and uh, we're glad to have him for sure. Now, and I know you're just leaving Stockton for the weekend right now, but while while I've got you here, I know BYU fans were just there last night. But what's what's Stockton like? What what kind of a, a college town is it? What what's there to eat around town? What's what's your favorite thing about Stockton, California? Yeah, so I was actually born and raised in Stockton, California. Um, lucky enough to recently have been able to get this job back at home at the University of the Pacific. Um, so yeah, we were recently named uh, the most diverse city in the United States by U.S. News and World Report. So right we got people of all of you know of all backgrounds and all all areas of, of the world. Honestly, um, I think that's probably my my favorite part about it. No matter what type of food you want to eat, no matter what type of you know cultural event, there's concerts, there's festivals, there's food events. Um, you know, plenty of plenty of ways to get outdoors. We have the Delta. You can go boating. There's plenty of golf courses. Um, you know, it, it's it's also centrally located, um, so it's within driving within 30 minutes of driving to Sacramento, which is the capital city of California. And you know, just a couple hours away from either the beautiful Lake Tahoe or or the Bay Area. So we feel blessed. Um, sometimes I know Stockton does not get the most ideal route. Um, but we feel blessed to be able to be in a location like that and to uh, have the beautiful campus of Pacific. Yeah, just um, just because it's not on the beach doesn't mean it's not a nice campus, right? <laughs> yeah. So, sure. um, are there any Pacific alum names that I would recognize? Even even outside the couple basketball ones we've gone over, um, what what is what's the University of Pacific given given out? Yeah. So. So one of our one of our bragging points recently has been Scott Boris, um, who actually played baseball at our in our program and uh, graduated from the business school. And as you know, I'm sure if you're a baseball fan, he's gotten over one billion or yeah, one million dollars. Excuse me, one billion dollars in yep. contracts um, this off season. 
So that was pretty cool to be able to see him and, and claim him as that. Um, like I said, Michael Olokondi, um, you know, had a good run in the NBA. Um, we've had a couple other soccer players recently uh, get drafted by MLS teams. Um, Tristan Blackman is currently on the Los Angeles um, team in the MLS. So that, that was a cool little highlight. Um, so, yeah, we've had, uh, we had, I believe, four baseball players drafted in the MLB draft last year. So, uh, yeah, we got some athletes out of the tiny school in Stockton. So, And even just looking at the name on the outside of the basketball stadium, the Spanos family, who owns the Chargers, they're also uh, Pacific yeah. folks. Correct. Yeah, they're big-time donors. Um, Alex G. Spanos, unfortunately, is no longer with us, but his namesake is, uh, is across campus, and the uh, Spanos family has always been very generous in, in donating not only their time but financial resources as well. Um, they continue to be a big partner with us, and, and we appreciate all their efforts, you know, not only in the past but right now and, and going forward. Um, they're a great family, and uh, we, we appreciate their, their continued support. Yeah, I I mean, I recognize that name, and I had to look it up to make sure it was the same, and it, and it was. It was all connected, even though it's kind of up California a little bit. That's that's the same Spanish <laughs> family that I, I recognize. Last but not least, uh, are there any student or campus traditions that you think are unique to Pacific? What's it, what's it like being a fan? Um, yeah, well, having grown up a fan... Um... You know, I was, my mother graduated from the University of the Pacific, um, so I had always been interested just through that. Um, but I, I guess the small atmosphere, um, there's not a huge student body, so the ability to, to really create an atmosphere of excitement and engagement um, within the arena, um, I think is something special. There's nothing um, off the top of my head that is specific that Pacific does. Uh, I didn't. I didn't attend Pacific as a student in college, unfortunately. But growing up there, um, to be able to have that environment inside the Spano Center, um, it's not very big. So if you can get that that noise up and get the fans excited and, and really engage the whole crowd, it's it's a tough place to play, as uh, I'm sure some teams in the past can attest to. So that's right. Well, thank you again for coming on the Cougar Tailgate, Chris. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you to Chris Fortney. Thank you to Pat Olson, who gave us all the information that we can need about San Francisco. Thank you to Sidney Carlson for talking to him, being on the show as you always are. Thank you to me, I guess. That's, that's <laughs> everyone say, that's wow. been on the show. <laughs> Special thank you just for me. Thanks for being here, Cole. Appreciate thank, it. I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate being here, talking on the radio, <laughs> doing my job, collecting a paycheck. I appreciate the thank you, though. That's Great. what's important. It is. Chris Fortney talked during the course of his about being a fan his whole life of a school. He grew up in Stockton, California, and so he really got to take us into that city from that city. He's sitting in the airport. He was sitting in the airport yesterday when I was talking to him, getting ready to fly up to Spokane. Uh, Sydney, you've grown up just a couple minutes south of BYU your whole life, right? That's, I did. That's a different kind of fandom. Right. Like it's it's a dream come true when you get to go to that school and, and to live it. Right. Yeah. The roots are deep. I uh, so I'm the only girl in my family. I'm also the oldest. So I you'd think that maybe as the only girl that I would try to get out of the sports things. But my dad, because I was the oldest, would take me to all the games because I was the only one that could sit through them. Right. 
And actually, my first memory of a BYU game was BYU-Utah 2003, I want to say. We lost 0-3. to <laughs> In what sport? In football. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Important. 0-3 to uh, I thought that 54-53 championship game was boring. 0-3 to in basketball. Oh, and it was something. 8 degrees. It what? was snowing like crazy. And I left that place th- like just high on life and thinking I never want to stop going to these games I never want to like lose this feeling beautiful I it is a wild like thing that I ever wanted to go back after that but I was hooked from then on and it has turned into a lifelong of me and my dad just like if we can't be at the games we're at home and we're standing on the couch screaming at the tv and scaring the dog and (laughs) Uh, yeah. And so then to come here, I mean, I so I grew up for those who are local. I grew up in Springville, which is just like 10, 15 minutes away next town over. And so, yeah, so like I was able to live at home and go to the school that I grew up rooting for. And all throughout college, I worked for BYU TV Sports. So I got to go to all the games and now I'm working for the athletic department. It's like I I just can't get away. <laughs> Sydney is living the dream. Really, for anyone that didn't realize, yeah. like you grow up a fan and you get to be a part of and make that a part of your life. It's true. I get to make fan dreams come true for other people now, which is the, my favorite part of my job. One thing I got have gotten to do at least the first two years in my job here is um, a seat upgrade promotion. So I have two tickets where I get to pick people who have crappy seats <gasps> and I get to take them down and put them on the 50 yard line in these like oh, cushy seats. Oh my goodness. And oh, the joy of do, being able to do that and like the people's faces light up. So that's my favorite part of my job is to be able to bring some kind of BYU magic to, into people's lives. And from the radio, we try to bring some of that magic, some of the fan experience into your lives, into your living rooms, cars, or wherever you're listening to the podcast every single week. This has been the Cougar Tailgate. Cindy got to share her fan story. If you have a fan story that you want to share with the program and and you want to get out there, you can email us or or contact us. It is cougartailgate at gmail.com that you can do that. And be sure to listen to the podcast wherever you get it. It's We're on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify as well. Every single Saturday, we are live on the radio. Noon Mountain Time, that's 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 Pacific on Sirius XM Channel 143, BYU Radio, or locally here, it's 107.9 The Mountain. This has been the Cougar Tailgate. That was Sydney Carlson. My name's Cole Wissinger. Go Cougs! Yeah.